Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our crucified and risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Eight souls in all brought through the waters of the flood safely in the days of Noah. That's not too many, is it? We have a few more than eight souls here tonight sitting safely and comfortably in the ark of this nave. We're closed off and we're protected for a little while at least from the storm-tossed ravages of the world outside. But there are not that many of us here inside tonight, are there? I'm guessing that Easter vigil services are probably the, the least attended of all the divine services of the church here. But that's okay, because it's not about numbers. It's about faithfulness. First, it is about God's faithfulness to His very nature and to His promises. And second, it's about the faithfulness that He gives us to continue to trust in His righteous nature and in the promises, His eternal promises that are directed toward us, the unrighteous. St. Peter opens the reading that you heard just a moment ago with the statement that it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter was trying to encourage Christians to trust God in spite of the sufferings that they would undergo from persecution in this world. The larger implication to that, of course, is that everyone suffers to some degree. There is no escaping it. No matter how wealthy, how intelligent, how well-educated, how good-looking, or how hard-working we might be, sinners suffer. And we are all sinners, as we have heard and as we have confessed already this evening, as we have heard and as we have confessed many times before, and Lord willing, we'll do so many more times again. Yet if we must suffer, as we will, Ought it not be, as Peter suggests, for following the will of God rather than for rejecting it? Christ our Lord suffered too. He suffered on account of sins, as do all people. But Jesus' suffering is unlike any other sort of suffering. Unlike our suffering, His suffering was unjust. He had not been conceived and born in sin like you and me, but was incarnate by the Holy Spirit. He had not committed sin as we do, much and daily, but had lived a pure and holy life, doing only good, yet suffering anyway. Contemplate this, too. His suffering did the ultimate good for our evil. Unlike us, Jesus' suffering was not limited just to the consequences of sin committed by those in our families, our jobs, our schools, our community, our nation, or our world. Jesus' suffering was not even limited to the sins of the third and fourth generations of those who hate God as God had told Moses when He received the Ten Commandments. No, Jesus' suffering was for the sins of you and me, all of the sins of the few gathered here this evening, all of the sins of our 
Christian brothers and sisters who are not among us tonight as well. And for all of the sins of every last human being who has ever lived or ever will, believer or not. Wrestle with that for a moment, if you can fathom it. Compared to much of the world and most of the world's history before us, much of our suffering from being sinners and living in a sinful world has been alleviated. Medical care, ample food and water, safe and reliable transportation, adequate clothing and housing and so on have greatly tempered our physical suffering. Our ancestors and most of humanity even today are not nearly so fortunate. Yet perhaps because of our physical comforts, our emotional suffering is amplified. We do not have to focus almost every waking moment on basic survival like generations before. We have the luxury of time to think about our fears and to think about our alienation from God and from one another, perhaps more so than any generation before us. We've made a spectator sport out of our feelings even. Take, though, your rather minimal relative suffering. Multiply that by the six billion or so souls on this planet. Add up the many generations of humanity since Adam and Eve first set us on the path of suffering through their rebellion from God, a science that we've managed to perfect over the years. That's a lot of suffering because we've committed a lot of sin. Now, imagine packing and squeezing all of that suffering into a few hours and laying it all upon one individual on a dark and stormy Friday about 1,980 years ago. A righteous person who knew no sin suffering for the unrighteous. Such a degree of suffering is unimaginable, isn't it? Could we even take on the suffering of a handful of individuals spread out over our lifetimes, let alone the suffering of all people of all time concentrated into less than a day? But wait. I haven't told you the really scary part yet. You see, our suffering even is greatly tempered. Our graciously heaven, gracious Heavenly Father who, who loves us and blesses us and keeps us he limits our suffering. He daily and He richly provides what we need for our bodies in life. He defends us from danger. And He guards and protects us from evil. Yes, we do face consequences of both sin and sinfulness. Much of it of our own doing and much of it caused by others. But we don't face the full brunt of it. Because God never separates Himself from us and from all of His creation. He never ever gives the devil, the world, and our sinful natures full run of the battlefield, unchecked and unchallenged to wreak full havoc upon us. We wouldn't last but a moment. And then there's the really, really frightening truth. We only experience the tempered, limited, deluded suffering of our worldly consequences for sin. 
We do not have to face the fullness of the divine wrath of eternal punishment that we so richly deserve. Punishment without mercy. Punishment without end. That burden of the suffering, the fullness of God's punishment fell upon Him who had done only good. The righteous suffered for the unrighteous that He might bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but as Peter wrote, He was made alive in the Spirit. We gather tonight because we have been brought to God. We gather tonight confident in being received by Him because He has always been and will always be patient with us as He was patient in the days of Noah. Our ark has been prepared. And this little band of unrighteous souls is brought safely through the water once more. Our bodies remain soiled for a little while with the consequences of sin. But our consciences have been made good by the washing which saves. Through Jesus Christ, who obediently suffered once for sins but was raised to eternal life by the Spirit, our disobedient spirits are redeemed, given faith, given hope. Connected to Christ's death and resurrection, baptism now saves you. We are led out from the prison of punishment, from the dungeon of eternal separation from God, and we are given the freedom of eternal comfort, joy, and communion with Him. Christ hath indeed burst His prison and yours. Alleluia. Amen.